I was, when I was 18, right after graduation, I got the opportunity to spend about three weeks in Europe. Um, yeah, thanks. Um, and the very first place, which now, if you're from here, uh, you would be mad that I lumped this place in with the rest of Europe. The very first place that we uh, landed was in in London. Um, and I don't know if any of you know what language they speak in in London. Do you do you know? It's it's English. Um, but what I will tell you is that English is way more than just a language. Uh, it is an entire culture. And what we speak here is is not the same kind of English. Um, and not it's not just a, an accent thing. Like I think I think as a I I can't speak for you, but for me when I went there, I just assumed that the difference between what we speak in America and what they speak in England is primarily an accent. That is not true. And, and it's not just like the fact that they call the trunk of the car the boot, the hood of the car a bonnet. It's not things like that. It's like everything down to the things that we talk about when we talk about food. Have you ever, do you know what pudding is? So in America, pudding is like this, like semi-viscous dessert that can be flavored like chocolate or like lemon or vanilla in England, pudding is nothing like that. What that is, that's called custard. Pudding is basically almost all desserts, except for some desserts are not called pudding. Some of them are called cake. And sometimes pudding is sausage. I think that's, I don't think that's happening. Okay. So what I realized is that after a week in London, that not only like, and, and now granted, this was uh, before the Great British Baking Show, uh, which I don't know if you're ever if you're familiar with that that TV show on the BBC, uh, it's pretty exciting. Um, but it it is uh, it was in 2000, and so not only and so part of the the challenge was that part of my experience there was most of the food that we ate in England was in uh, the hostel cafeteria, which is not the best experience for uh, enjoying a cuisine of a country. But about after, about after a week of being in England, I, I just kept dreaming of Mexican food. 
because nothing had spice, nothing had flavor, everything was boring. And so, like, one of the things I realized is that language is about more than just the words that we speak. Language is about culture. Language is about identity. Language is about understanding where you come from. Language is about, and I completely didn't understand any of it when I was there. Now, I, I enjoyed it. And, and so from there, we went to a couple of other European countries and we ended in, in Paris. And, and, and the reality is, is that all of those things are true of French, like French is a, a, a culture and a identity and all of those things. But then on top of that, like I don't I literally don't understand any of the things that they're saying. And the thing is, is that I felt so out of place. I, I didn't know what was going on and I didn't know, like you're around people and, and, and a city like Paris is interesting because there's so many tourists. So like you hear people speaking French and you hear people speaking Japanese and you hear all kinds of languages all around you all the time. And I realized that culture is an interesting thing. This last, uh, back in May, my family and I got the opportunity to go to New York City. Um, after landing in New York City, uh, we were looking for a place to eat. And I don't know if you know this, but there's, uh, there's lots of places to eat in New York City. But when you're at LaGuardia, um, you should probably find somewhere a little further away than right next to the, uh, the airport. We ended up in this part of New York um, where we were all of the restaurants, uh, none of the menu, none of the all of the language was not in English. We we walked into this restaurant. We didn't even know what kind of restaurant it was. <laughs> Turns out later it was Bang Bangladeshi food, which was which was good. Um, but. How do you order at a restaurant that you don't know any of the words that are on any of the menu? Well, we walked up and uh, I tried to get the, the gentleman that was behind the counter to help me pick out things. And he did. To the point where by the time we got our food, the entire table was covered with plates The entire table, like there was no room for like us to actually eat. There was goat curry and there were all kinds of things. And it was, and it was really good and surprisingly, surprisingly affordable for how much food we got. <laughs> the, the reality is, is that language is something that I think makes us feel like an insider or an outsider. Language is something that makes us feel like we belong or feel like we don't belong. And I think 
I think we've all been in situations where, where we walked in uh, and we, we feel like we don't belong, like we don't fit. I think that it, sometimes that's a language issue. Sometimes that's not. Sometimes that's a culture issue. Sometimes that's not. So we're kicking off a new series. We're going to be kind of diving pretty deep into the book of Acts chapter 2 specifically. Now, like for the fellowship that Reve is a part of, Acts chapter 2 is like one of the most important passages of scripture in the Bible. <laughs> like for the fellowship that, that Reve is a part of, Acts chapter 2 is like the one that we talk about all the time. And I hope that uh, through this series, we're going we're gonna to be looking at these passages. We're going to be looking at them. This is kind of my specialty, not Acts chapter 2 specifically, but looking at things in a different way than we ever have. And so I, I want to challenge us this morning to, to look at these story, the, the stories that are in the book of Acts in a new way, in a way that maybe we haven't ever seen them before. And so to do that, I'd like to give a little background. The book of Acts was written by Luke. Luke was not, I don't know if you know this, Luke was not one of the 12 disciples. There's good evidence just following the story of the book of Luke or book of a book of Luke and then into the book of Acts. There's good evidence when you look at the language in the book of Acts. There, there, the pronouns that are being used in the first half of the book of Acts are them pronouns. <laughs> like the, they went they went here, and then Paul went here, and they're, they're, they're third-person pronouns. At some point in the book of Acts, there's a shift. The author of the book of Acts starts using words like us and we, and we went there, and we did that. And that shift happens right after the story of Paul having this vision of a man in Macedonia and go, uh, Paul going into the, this Macedonian region, there's good possibility, not necessarily that Paul dreamt of Luke, but it's good possibility that a major reason why Paul went to Macedonia was to meet Luke. And, and this this character that ends up the the author it's interesting paul is credited of writing most of the new testament he wrote the more books than anyone else but luke wrote more words than anyone else like we have the entire backstory of what was happening when luke when paul was writing all of the letters that he wrote because of luke and Luke is a, a really interesting character because 
he has no background in, in, in the Jewish faith. He, he's from a, he, he's a commonly known as a, as a doctor, a physician. Um, but he writes the most detailed account of both Jesus life, having done a ton of research, but also a most detailed account of what happened in the early church. Like we would know almost nothing about what happened in the early years of the Christian faith. If it weren't for Luke. Now, both the book of Luke and the book of Acts start by referring to a guy named Theophilus. In the book of Acts, it starts by saying, in my first book, I told you his first book being the book of Luke. I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. So who is this Theophilus guy? So a lot of things happen. So one of the things that we, it isn't readily apparent to us when we study scripture is how things are funded. Like, so like if you, if you write a book today, like you can just sign up to have your book published on Amazon. Did you know that? Like, it doesn't even have to be a good book. Like nobody has to like the book. You can just publish it on Amazon. But that's not always how it's been. It used to be there has to be some kind of a backer that would help print and promote the work that you did. And it's very likely that that's who Theophilus is. Theophilus was very likely the wealthy benefactor who supported the work of Luke, who supported the work of many other disciples of, of Jesus in spreading and sharing the gospel. And so Paul, uh, Luke writes, in, he says, in my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instruction through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So he, here's the thing. So Jesus dies. He's raised from the dead and he's around for 40 days. Now, interestingly, the festival of Pentecost happens to be 50 days after Passover. So Jesus is taken up into heaven. The last words that he says to his disciples is, wait here. Wait here. I have work for you to do. But before you go do this work, before you do anything else, I have a gift for you. 
I have a gift for you. And don't go anywhere without this gift. Wait for it. Now, so 40 days to 50 days is how many days? 10 days. So in just a few days, Jesus says, in just a few days, this gift will be ready. Jesus leaves. And and this is like, Jesus walks with his disciples for, for years. He ministers, he does miracles, he's executed and raised from the dead. And even still, they're still asking this question. The, the, so when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? They can't get this out of their mind. Our kingdom. Is it time for you to give us what's ours back? Is it time for us to take our place? It's, is it time for us to show up as the chosen people again? For you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? Is it time? Is it time? Is it time? He replied, the father alone has the authority to set those dates and times. And they are not for you to know. But you will receive power. They're they're interested in political power. They're interested in political authority. They're interested in having a seat at the table. They're interested in regaining their position in the world. But Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The interesting thing is that they're looking at their own place. And Jesus is looking far off into the horizon. They're looking at their position and their power and their place in the world. Jesus is looking back to the promise of Abraham. The promise where God said, I will make you a blessing to all nations. I will make you a blessing to all nations. To Jerusalem, Judea, throughout Samaria, in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So let's look at Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So they're all in one place. They they gather and they've been praying. They've been hiding out. They've been waiting 
for this gift. Many of them are still unsure about what the future holds for them. Jesus is gone. We know that Jesus is alive, but what does this mean for us? What does this story mean for us? What does all of this mean for the world? When the day of Pentecost came, this was a celebration of the a renewal of the, the law, the renewal of a commitment to the law. And it happened as the, the celebration of first fruits. So it happened early in the, the harvest season. It's, it, it's interesting because there was what was known as the diaspora, which is where because of the Roman, uh, the Babylonian captivity and then the Roman, uh, the Roman uh, occupation of Jerusalem, there were Jewish people all over the world. There were Jewish people that were in every part of the world, and th- many of them would come back to Jerusalem for especially Passover. Like, if you're going to go to California, you might as well go to Disneyland. If you're going to go to Disneyland, you might as well go to Magic Mountain and Knott's Berry Farms while you're there, right? But, like, Pentecost was... Not as like Passover was the pinnacle Jewish festival, but it is only seven weeks. You have to remember this is a time without cars, without transportation. Many of these people walked or rode donkeys the entire way. And so staying for an extra seven weeks was a lot more feasible than it would be to stay or, or to come back again in seven weeks. It didn't make sense. So a lot of, a lot of people were in Jerusalem for the festival of Pentecost. And so the disciples, the remaining disciples after Jesus died, gathered together. And it, I don't, don't imagine 12 dudes sitting in a room. It's not, it's not just that. It's like Jesus' followers who followed Jesus. So Mary, Martha, the, the disciples, uh, many of the other followers. Uh, the scripture later on tells us that there are close to 100 people in this, in this space. They had been gathering and praying and seeking God. And God shows up. And what is this thing that happens? We, in in the tradition that I come from, in the tradition that Reve comes from, focus a lot on speaking in tongues. We talk a lot about the idea of speaking in tongues. And it's a really important aspect of what it means to be a Pentecostal Christian. But I think there's something more that we can see in this story. There's something more that we can see in this story if we look a little closer. Verse 5, it says, At that time there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. These were devout Jews, but they also 
like they had grown up in a different culture. They had grown up with a different language. And many of them spoke Hebrew because they were devout Jews. But that wasn't the language that they spoke. That's not what they talked to at, uh, each other at home. That's not what they listened to the, the, the news in. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running and they were bewildered. What? They were bewildered to hear their own language being spoken by the believers. They were bewildered to hear these Galilean men and women speaking in the language that they thought in. I, I, we, we've talked about this before, but, but the reality is, is that there, there's something interesting about language. Language is more, like I said at the beginning, language is more than just words. I think for a lot of us, the way we think about language is it's like a code. Like, and this word means this word in this language, and this word means this word in this language. And it's like, if we could put numbers into it, maybe it would be easier, but that's not how language works. There are things you can say in English that you can't say in other languages. And more often than not, there are things that are being said in other languages that have no English translation. We get a, the best approximation. Now, we, why that is important is because language determines whether we're insiders or outsiders. Culture determines whether we belong or we don't belong. So they were bewildered when they heard the story of Jesus, the story of the gospel, the story of what God was doing, this new thing that God was doing in their own language, in the language that they spoke in their heart, in the language that they spoke in the way that they thought. The language, it's more than just an adaptation of a, translating a message into a different code. It's, a, it's a, adapting a language, the uh, message into a different culture. And let me tell you what the story doesn't say. The story doesn't say God did this miracle and made them hear in their own language. It says that God touched the speaker and the speaker's mouth and transformed them so that they would speak the language that someone else needed to hear. I, I, I think that's a very nuanced thing, but I think it's really, really important. Because the transformation didn't happen to the hearer. The transformation happened to the speaker. The transformation happened to the one who was relaying the message. I think if we had it our way, I think if we had it our way, it would be way easier if I didn't have to change. 
if if me sharing the story of Jesus, I could just say it however I wanted and people would just get it. But that's not how it works. I think the the most amazing thing, this is how I, I always talk about it. If the story of Jesus, if the gospel is the most important message, if the story of what Jesus did and does is the most important message, then the most important thing about that message is that that message is heard. Let's keep going. That's the end. So the, the, the interesting thing about this. Now, the interesting thing about this is that, and I think in our tradition, what, what we have pursued is genuine encounters with God. We've pursued genuine encounters with the Holy Spirit. We wanted, we've asked that the Holy Spirit show up in our services and in our lives and in our daily actions and in our activities. We've asked that the Holy Spirit do something miraculous in our lives. We've asked that the Holy Spirit pour out on us and fill us. Unfortunately, I think what we mean sometimes when we pray those prayers is that we want God to do something for me so I can experience something, so I can have an experience and I can have an encounter with God and I can feel better about my life and I can have the power to be joyful when people cut us off in traffic. But that's not what the message says. The message says that God will fill you with his Holy Spirit, empower you with his Holy Spirit to be what? A witness. To to be a messenger of the gospel. Now here's the challenge. 100% of the time, that requires me to change. 100% of the time, That requires transformation in my life. 100% of the time that forces me to challenge my misconceptions about the world. 100% of the time that forces me to translate my words into a different culture. The question is, are we willing to change our language? Are we willing to really genuinely encounter the Holy Spirit in a way that transforms us and renews the world around us? Are we really willing to have an encounter with the Holy Spirit that changes us from the inside out and overflows into the way we communicate? Or are we just interested in having a moment-by-moment encounter with God that makes us feel tingly and warm and fuzzy? Or are we willing to let God change us so that the message can be heard? I think traditionally, the way that we like to talk about the world, 
the way that we like to talk about the world is us and them. The way we like to talk about the world is by drawing circles. We like to talk about who's in and who's out. I challenge you to look at the story of the gospel. Jesus doesn't talk like that. Jesus doesn't talk about who's on the inside and who's on the outside. What you see in the story of the gospel is you see people. And so, so what are the, some of the things that we, we use to determine whether or not people are inside or outside? Do you believe the right things? Do you have the right list of things that you do, habits and daily actions? And you're inside. If you don't, you're outside. You're outside the circle. Here's the thing. If that's the case, who has the right beliefs? If you follow the story of the Gospels. The Pharisees. The Pharisees have this almost identical theology to Jesus. They have almost identical set of beliefs. They believe the right things. Theologically, they're on the inside of the circle. But, but look at the people that Jesus surrounds himself with. Look at the people who were in the room on the day of Pentecost. You have a guy named Simon the Zealot. That, that's not just its nickname. He's referred to as Simon the Zealot because he believes that the only way for Jewish people to get back their power, to, to answer that question that the disciples keep asking, he believes the only way to do it is to burn it down, to kill the Romans, to fight them, blood Spears and swords attack. On the other hand, you have Matthew and Levi. These were tax collectors. These people were like in the pocket of Rome. Like Jesus is surrounding himself with people who believe very, very different things about the world than he does. So, let me ask you this. What if we changed our language? What if instead of talking about insiders and outsiders, we learn to see people on a trajectory? See, the Pharisees, very close theologically to Jesus, but they were running as fast as they could away from Jesus. Like to the point where they're willing, they're willing to link arms with people that they completely disagreed with. Like, think about the story of the crucifixion. Think about it for a second. We have Pharisees who were the ultra-conservative theologically people. We have Sadducees who were the ultra-liberal theologically people. And then we have the Herodians who were people who were propped up and put in power by Rome, all agreeing that we need to get rid of Jesus. Like these are all kinds of people who these people don't ever agree on anything. 
the one thing that they all agreed is we got to get rid of Jesus. The Pharisees, very similar theologically to Jesus, but on a different trajectory, an away trajectory. We have these people like the woman with questionable background. Very, very different theologically, but her trajectory was towards Jesus. It was rapidly towards Jesus, weeping in tears. We have people like Zacchaeus and Levi who were tax collectors and who had been stealing from their countrymen. But their trajectory was, I want you to come have dinner with me. I want to hear what you have to say. We have people like Peter. What if we changed our language? What if we invited the Holy Spirit to do a work in us that would so drastically change the way we think about the world rather than looking at the world as us versus them? What if we started to look at the world as a kingdom where God is welcoming all of the broken, all of the bruised, all of the hurting, all of the, those who are outside? That a kingdom like Isaac talked about last week, where all of the people are just welcomed in. Like that, that story that Isaac talked about, about we have these these people who were supposed to be at the party, the, the people who were on the invite list that refused to come. Jesus threw the doors open and says, just go get anyone and everyone and invite them in. What if we changed our language? What if we invited the Holy Spirit to encounter us so deeply that we began to see the world differently? And by all means, yes, speak in tongues. But let that change us. Let that change how we see the world, how we see each other, how we see the community that we're a part of. What would that look like? Let's pray. Lord, I invite your spirit here. God, I invite you to do a work in my life to fill me with your spirit. God, I pray that that you would help us to change how we see the world. That you would help us to change how we see the barriers between each other. I love that you, as a part of the inauguration of this new Holy Spirit age, that you broke down the barriers of language and culture to speak directly to the hearts of people. 
God, I pray that you would speak directly to our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name.